of that song today. Let's take our Bibles and open them, if you will, please, this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 15. The book of Luke, chapter 15. Years ago, when I was much more involved in prison ministry, there was a little kind of a joke that almost went around among some of the men that were working in the jail. They always said, don't speak at the county jail from Luke 15. It's the most favorite county jail text in all of the Word of God. Well, this isn't the county jail this morning. So I'm going to speak from Luke chapter 15. But I've chosen this story, this passage, because yes, we have a wonderful account of a father and son experiencing an incredible restoration of a relationship. But there's some much deeper spiritual lessons and truths that we need to learn this morning. Not just as they affect our own relationships in the home, but as ultimately they affect our relationship with God. We're in the book of Luke, chapter 15. I want to just begin reading at verse number 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And now, verse 20, he arose and came to his father. Interestingly enough, most messages that get preached from this text focus on the individual that we refer to as the prodigal son. Probably it's safe to say as well that there are a lot of messages that get preached on the older brother. But this morning, I want to speak to you about the father. And I've entitled this message, A God-Like Father. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us now from His Word. Father, as we open Your Word, I pray that the familiarity with a story will not limit our ability today to grasp incredible truths. Father, please... Allow your word today to touch our hearts, to touch our lives. Help me as I speak. Help the people as they listen. And may we today receive exactly what you want us to have from your word. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For years and years and years, I worked on a list and a collection of definitions of revival. In fact, I can tell you that several years ago when I actually put it into print, I ended up with over 15 pages of revival definitions. But it's going to be interesting today to notice 
that maybe the most appropriate literal definition of revival is found right in this passage of Scripture. Look at your Bible with me, please. Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is, look at the next two words, alive again. Drop down to verse 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is, notice the next two words, alive again. Yes, I have 15 pages of revival definitions, but literally the word revival means to live again. It means to bring back life. Oh, I know this is a popular passage of Scripture, as I said, to preach at the county jail service. But you know, it may be safe to say that Luke 15 is also one of the great revival texts in the Scripture because in reality we're dealing with a relationship between a father and his son. Not just an earthly father and his son, but the picture of the heavenly father with us as his children. I want to begin by highlighting several things. Notice, if you will, please, that the passage begins... In verse number 11, with these words, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said unto his father, Give me the portions of good goods that falleth to me. Notice, if you will please, that this young man, number one, lived a selfish lifestyle. Did you see those key words in verse 12? Give me. He was self-seeking, he was self-serving, he was self-satisfying. But notice, if you will, not only his selfish lifestyle, but his sinful lifestyle. Verses 13 and 14 give us a little more of an understanding. The Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living. Verse 14 tells us he spent all. We have a young man who became selfish and who became sinful. Now let me plug in the revival truth right here. Too much of self and sin will always take us away from the Father. Let me add this revival truth. Whenever we are full of self or we fall in sin, we are headed for a far country. Do you want to know why today there are people who sit even in church services like this on a Sunday morning and they're out of touch further than they've ever been with God in their lives? 
It's because they've allowed a selfish and a sinful lifestyle to draw them away from God. I dealt with a college-age young lady years ago who dropped in at a church where we were in revival meetings. She didn't even come to the service. She came after the service. She said, I need to talk to somebody. And I was asked to visit with her. I said to her, what's on your mind? And I remember her saying something to this effect. She said, as a junior high teenager, I was, and she used this term, on fire for God. But with little or no explanation, she said, but today I'm so far from God, I don't even know where God is or how to begin to find my way back. What a shame. What a shame that even in those few short years, selfishness and sinfulness had led this young lady down a road so far away from God that she couldn't even imagine where God was or how to find him. But let's go back to Luke chapter 15. Because in spite of this young man's pitiful condition, the beauty of this story is, as long as there's God, the Father, there's hope. Just as, as long as this young man had his earthly father, there was hope. Notice, if you will, please, verse 17. It was the first phrase when I read the text moments ago. And when he came to himself. Three things that meant. First of all, he accepted his need. He began to be in want. And according to verse 17, he said, I perish with hunger. He accepted his need. Secondly, he activated his will. We read it moments ago in our text. I will arise and go to my father. And he arose and came to his father. Thirdly, when he came to himself, he acknowledged his sin. I have sinned against heaven and before thee and in thy sight, he said to his father, let me at this point pause and bring in the revival truths again. The first revival truth is this, honesty and humility will always bring us back to the Father. And we initially, or we must initially get real with ourselves. Eventually we will get real with God and ultimately we can then get real with others. Do you know what we have in this story? We have a beautiful picture of the reviving work that God can do in a relationship to an earthly father, yes, but ultimately to a heavenly father as well. That's why today I want to speak to you about this God-like Father. There are six beautiful 
things that we're going to see about this earthly dad that picture a heavenly father. Number one, he was willing to watch unendingly. Let's look, if you will, please, at verse 20. He arose and came to his father. Notice who made the first move. The son. But we continue reading and we see, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. I think I understand. No doubt this father's heart had been broken the day he stood so to speak, at the end of the lane and watch the figure of his son as he walked away. Separation became greater and greater and greater as this young man truly walked out of his sight. Who would ever know how many times this dad had walked back out to the end of the lane, so to speak. And he just stood there and he looked down that road. And in his mind's eye, he began to picture again that day when his son walked out of his life, walked out of his home, walked away from his family. And yet... At the very same moment, could it possibly be that this dad stood there and in his mind imagination began to picture the day when maybe he would do that and see that son walking back. Dad did not simply look up when his son walked through the door but rather he saw him at a distance because he was looking and longing for the return of his son. Men and women, understand, if you will please, that when a child of God gets away, there's no one who wants them to come back more than God the Heavenly Father does. This father was willing to watch unendingly. Number two, notice he was willing to weep uncontrollably. Verse 20 continues. He saw him and had compassion. Dad had experienced a broken heart. But in spite of the hurt... His heart was moved to care for his son during this time of need with an attitude of sympathy and pity. May I pause long enough to say not all fathers on earth do that. I remember on one occasion being on the phone with a father 
whose teenage daughter had gotten into an inappropriate relationship and as a result a baby was conceived and his comment to me was, I'm going to throw her out of the house. want nothing to do with her. And I remember saying to that man, really, aren't you glad that God, your heavenly Father, didn't treat you that way as one of his children the first time you failed him? Oh, no doubt, this dad's heart had broken. No one would ever know the amount of tears that he had wept. Not only standing at the end of the lane, but maybe sitting in his home, maybe in the quiet, private moments of his life. His heart had ached. He was moved with compassion as he saw his son coming. But thirdly, I want you to notice he was willing to approach unhesitatingly. Isn't it interesting, as you use your imagination, we get this picture of Dad standing there at the road. He sees the figure. Is it maybe him? Could it be my boy? Is this the day I've waited for? And as the young man gets closer and closer, Dad is trying to figure it out. No doubt his appearance was pitiful. Maybe he was hard to recognize. But as he gets closer and closer, Dad recognizes the gait of his walk and begins to recognize the posture of his body and begins to recognize the features of his face even though he's pitifully unkept and cared for. And what does the Bible say? He ran. He ran. Once again, we get an amazing picture of a father coming to his child in need. One of the most pitiful things is when a child of God assumes that God has given up on him. But we see in this father no such thing is true because this dad was willing to be there for his son. Be there. Can I throw in a little parenting hint at this moment? Men and women, be there for your children. Don't be absent when they need you. Make sure you are there. This dad didn't have a clue how his son was going to respond. But he was determined to be there. Number four, he was willing to love unconditionally. He was willing to love unconditionally. Verse 20 tells us he had compassion. He ran. He fell on his neck and kissed him. Now let me remind you of where this young man had been. 
If you know the story well, you know that he had gotten a job feeding pigs. I've been there and done that. And it's at times one of the most disgusting jobs you've ever done. Folks, I love pork chops. I love bacon. I like ham sandwiches. I enjoy sausage. I just don't like pigs. Really. They're just not a very pleasant animal. They eat garbage. You say, really? That's exactly what this man had done. He'd been given the job of feeding the pigs until his hunger had become so great that he actually ate from the what they call the slop bucket that was being used to feed the pigs. I can only imagine that he didn't look real good. I can only imagine that he didn't smell real good. I can only imagine that it had been a long time since he'd taken a bath or washed his clothes. He's in pitiful condition. But you know what is so beautiful? This father loved unconditionally. Folks, that's a God-like Love. See, human love is willing to love those who are lovable, willing to love those who are lovely. But God's kind of love is a love that loves unconditionally. And that was demonstrated in such an incredible way. I remember years ago working through a, a time with one of my own children when God took me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And yes, we know the love chapter. But I was gripped with a thought. Love or charity beareth all Things. And I can remember doing some word study and text study only to find out that that phrase, beareth all things, literally means to put a roof on, to conceal, to cover with silence, to bear patiently. It's the thought of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12, love covereth all sins. Proverbs 17 and verse 9, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love. And I came to understand, even at that time, that my unconditional love for someone, yes, who may have hurt me, someone who, yes, may have broken my heart, yes, may have disappointed me, it was my job. My responsibility to continue to love unconditionally and in that love to protect. I've been in prayer meetings where a dad has said things about a wayward child that caused me to cringe. Pray for him! 
This happened, that happened, they went there, they did this. And I'm sitting there going, no. Brother, you've just made it very difficult for that young person to ever walk in this place again because all you've done is trash talk them in prayer meeting. Folks, all I'm going to say is when you've been put into that situation, please understand that genuine love doesn't seek to expose the wrongdoing of another person. No, genuine love responds appropriately to it, regardless of how serious it may be. To me, it's one of the most beautiful demonstrations of love in all of the Word of God as this father comes running up the road to meet this son, dirty, disgusting, despicable as he was, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. As he throws his arms around that boy and buries that boy's head on his shoulder and maybe with his body convulsing with sobs, he holds that boy tight, letting him know, son, I still love you because you're my son. Folks, that's something that only God can do in your heart because it's His heart. It's God as it's at His best. Oh, we've sung it so many times at invitations that I suppose most of us don't even give it much thought. Just as I am, I come. Aren't you glad that God doesn't hand us a list and say, make sure you check all these boxes and then you're welcome to come home. No, God says, come on. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to get it all together. You don't have to fix everything that's... Come. Because I love you. And then I'll do that work. This father was willing to love unconditionally. Number five, he was willing to give unreservedly. You see, love, first of all, displayed an attitude but now it demonstrates an action. You've heard it said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. God so loved the world that He gave. It's love being demonstrated. So we come to verses 22 and 23. The father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. You know, I was intrigued by this concept of the fatted calf. What does that mean? 
Well, I can tell you that to those of us who live in 21st century America, we'll have no concept of what the fatted calf meant because if company came unexpectedly, we head to the freezer or we head to the refrigerator or we head to the pantry. But it didn't work that way in the days that Jesus was telling this story. There was not available the means of preservation, refrigeration. You know what I'm saying? And so a homeowner would keep a special pen, so to speak, close. And in it was what was called the fatted calf. It was the calf that was ready and prepared that at any minute should guests come, should someone of honor come, that animal could be slaughtered and a meal could be prepared. When this father was telling the servants to bring the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat, he was talking about the fact that all along he had been prepared for his son to come home. He was ready. And this father incredibly allowed a wonderful outpouring of tokens of love to be laid upon his son. But let me highlight one Final thought, number six. He was willing to forgive unquestioningly. He was willing to forgive unquestioningly. Notice it in verse 27. Here's what we find out. This father did something incredible. Yes, his son made a confession. I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against thee. But look at what verse 27 says as the older brother begins to question what is taking place. The servant said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fattest calf. Look at this phrase. Because he hath received him safe and sound. Do you realize what genuine forgiveness is? Genuine forgiveness is not saying nothing ever went wrong. It's not overlooking an offense. But rather, genuine forgiveness is saying that offense, that wrongdoing will never be held against you again. It's been cleared. So when these servants made this statement, the father hath received him safe and sound, they were stating the forgiveness that had occurred. Dad cleared all wrongs from the past by granting full forgiveness and letting his son know that his wrongdoing would never be held against him again. 
Quite a father, wouldn't you say? An amazing man, wouldn't you say? But it was because of his responses to his son that the statement could be said, he's alive again. He's been revived. There was a story that was told really a lot of years ago. In fact, I'm not even sure of the authenticity of it in every detail. But it was a story of a father and one of his sons in whose relationship things had become very, very tense, very much conflict. One day in a rather heated, emotionally charged moment, this son actually struck his father physically. Brokenhearted, this father said to his son, I'm so sorry that this is what our relationship has come to, but if this is going to, if the way it's going to be, you're going to need to leave. Sensing his opportunity, the son quickly packed up and, and left. Did his own thing, went his own way, lived his own life. No more dad. But it was in his time away that he was encountered by the truth of the gospel. And so he made a decision to come to God. But having made things right with God, it was his determination that he now must seek to make things right with his father and his mother, whose hearts had also been broken. He sent a message to his parents stating that on a given day he would be on a certain train arriving at the station at a set time. He said in his note to his parents, if I'm welcome at home, I want you to tie a white handkerchief on the limb of the tree in front of the house. As the train pulls into the station, I'll be able to see the house. And, and if there's a handkerchief tied on the limb in the tree, I'll know it's okay to get off the train and come home. If it's not there, I'll just stay on the train and keep going. Well, the story says that as that train began to make its approach to this town where the boy had been raised, he began to get very nervous, very emotional. In fact, he began to cry. Interestingly enough, the man sitting next to him on the train was a preacher. And he saw the emotional distress and he leaned over and he said, I don't mean to interrupt, but you seem very upset. Is something wrong? I'm a preacher. Can I help you? This young man began to explain his situation and how he had heard his dad and how he had gone away but he said I've I've met God and I'm coming home and this is what I told my parents but he said I'm afraid to look the closer we get 
because I'm worried they maybe will not want me any longer. The train began to slow down, began to make its way into the station where it would come to a stop, and the preacher said, I'll tell you what, why don't you let me look? So the preacher leaned over and he kind of wiped the window clear as the train came to a stop. He looked. Suddenly a big smile came out on his face. He said, son, I see your parents' house. And he said, that tree in the front yard is covered from top to bottom with white handkerchiefs. And he said, there's an older man and lady standing on the front porch with a big bed sheet and they're waving it up and down. He said, I think it'll be okay for you to get off the train and go home. Maybe the story's fictional, I don't know, but it illustrates the point so well, doesn't it? It's another picture, not just of an earthly family coming back together. It's the picture of God, the heavenly father, when one of his own, a son or a daughter, as it were, is coming back to God in what we call revival. Which leads me to simply conclude by saying, the key to a revived home is always a revived heart. Let's bow, please. Let's be quiet before the Lord.